Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? Well, today, for a Tech Stuff Tidbits episode, I thought I would talk about what diodes are and what they do. So they are one of the basic components of modern electronics. So what the heck are they? I'm sure you've heard of them. Even if you're not familiar with electronics, you've heard the term diodes. Heck, LED, that's a light-emitting diode. You have lots of stuff all around you that has diodes in it. So it's easiest to explain diodes by starting with the kind of of function they fill within electronics. So a diode is sort of like a check valve in a plumbing system. So a check valve in in a pipe, for example, will open when water flows in one direction. The water will push against the valve and the valve will lift up and water can flow through. But if the water starts to come back in the opposite direction, then the water is going to push the the valve cap back down and the valve will close and the water can't 
keep going. So this way you can allow water to flow one way through the pipe, but it can't come back, which is important in some types of, you know, hydraulic systems, that sort of stuff. So diodes do something similar. They allow electricity to flow in one direction in a circuit, but they prevent it from going the opposite way. Now, a quick word on that. When we talk about current and flow, things get a little confusing due to the fact that electrical engineers described current as moving from positive to negative. But if we look at the at current as the flow of electrons, we know that this is the opposite of what actually happens. It doesn't go positive to negative. Electrons move from negative to positive. This is because electrons themselves have a negative charge, which means they're repelled by other negative charges, right? Like repels like and opposites attract. So electrons are attracted to positive charges. So if you've got a big old bunch of electrons crammed in together somewhere, they're all desperately trying to get away from each other. But if you then create a pathway where electrons can travel to a place where there's a, a positive vibe, they're going to rush through that pathway to get to the positive place because no one wants to hang out at a party where everyone is negative all the time. So uh, they're so eager to get over to the positive place. You can even make them do work along the way. This is the basis of electronics, that electrons move from negative to positive, And along the way, you can make them do work because they just want to get to that positive place, man. They will do whatever it is they need doing. Uh, assuming they've got enough oomph behind them to get the job done. Now, that's a pretty clumsy analogy, but it does fit. Anyway, there are a lot of electrical engineering textbooks that talk about what we would call conventional current. Conventional current is the positive to negative flow. This is how Ben Franklin would have talked about it. Uh, and unfortunately, that's just not what's happening on, a, on an actual physics level. But on an electrical engineering level, you can often see diagrams that will depict current as flowing positive to negative. So if you ever come across descriptions that talk about current this way, it's from an electrical engineering perspective. And it, by the way, this does have its uses. It's not that uh, this, is, this is to a point where it's going to mess you up unless you're looking at a diagram and you're making uh, the opposite assumption based on the diagram. Instead, it's useful for talking about specific systems. So I, I don't mean to completely dismiss it, but it is kind of funny to me. But I am going to talk more about the electron flow description of current. So that means going negative to positive because that's what's actually happening. If you were able to somehow visualize the electrons as they move through the system, that's how it would go. All right, let's get back to diodes. So let's say you're putting together a simple circuit with a diode and you've got a light bulb connected and then you're going to connect a power source, a battery. Now, because diodes only allow current to flow in one direction, if you've installed the diode the wrong way around, it will actually prevent electricity from moving through the circuit and the bulb won't light up. If you flip the diode around, then it allows the electricity to flow through the circuit and the light bulb comes on. So when the diode faces one way, it's behaving like an insulator. It's, it's preventing the flow of electrons. If you flip it around, it acts like a conductor. 
it conducts the flow of electrons. Um, and it turns out that, yeah, diode is a semiconductor component. It can act as both a conductor or an insulator, depending upon the situation. A diode positioned to allow current to flow is what we call in the forward bias. Forward means that electricity can flow through the diode. If it is positioned to act as an insulator, it is in the reverse bias. It will prevent electricity from flowing in that direction. But how? Like, what is it about a diode that allows this to happen? Well, that requires a bit of physics. All right, so a conductive material has a lot of what we would call free electrons, meaning these are electrons that are not in fully packed uh, electron shells. They can be boosted out with just a little bit of energy and then be free roaming electrons. But uh, that, so you just have to add some energy, right? And then once you do, then the electrons will start to move through the material uh, and they will be moving toward the most positive area connected to this material. And then if you have an insulator, well, you've got electrons that are very tightly packed, right? There's no movement available. Like uh, there's no room in the end. So there's no place for an incoming electron to go. And it kind of just bounces off and, you know, it acts almost like a force field. Now to make a semiconductor really useful, we actually have to dope it because semiconductive material has fairly tightly packed uh, atoms and fairly tightly packed electrons. So without doping it, without in introducing impurities, then you're not gonna be able to easily make it conduct. It'll act as more of an insulator than a conductor. So we're just introducing something else in there to change up the, the structure, really. And you can actually dope semiconductor material in one of two ways. You can dope it with atoms that actually have extra electrons in their outermost shell, which creates an N-type semiconductor or negative side. Or you could pack in atoms of stuff that have fewer electrons in their outer shell, which means we they have holes. They have places where electrons could occupy. This is P-type semiconductor material. Now let's talk about silicon to give an example. So a silicon atom has four electrons in its outermost electron shell, but it's an electron shell that can accommodate up to eight electrons. It's just that silicon doesn't have eight in its outermost. It has four. But if you get a lot of silicon atoms together, and they form covalent bonds with one another, then each silicon atom is gonna bond with four other silicon atoms and they're gonna share outermost electrons so that each atom, if you were to look at it and just kind of ignore the fact that there are atoms around it, it would appear that there are eight electrons in that outermost shell and that'd be all full up. So in other words, when silicon's all together as a, as a a material as opposed to a single atom, then it's acting like it's got full electron shells in its outermost uh, shell. So what you want to do is introduce something else like phosphorus, which has five electrons in its outermost shell. So silicon has four, phosphorus has five. If you start putting phosphorus, if you dope phosphorus into silicon, then 
these silicon atoms, some of them are bonding with phosphorus, but that means there's this extra electron that has nowhere to go, right? Because you only have enough room for four of those electrons in that outermost shell to bond with other atoms. The fifth one is kind of loose on its own. So now you have electrons that could easily freely move through this material. Then if you want to make a P-type semiconductor, you dope silicon with atoms that have fewer than four electrons in their outermost shells. For example, aluminum has three. So aluminum bonding with silicon means there's going to be an extra space for an electron. You get a, a hole there. Uh, and so you have this N-type or negative semiconductor material that has an excess of electrons and thus has a negative charge. And then you have a P-type semiconductor material that has an excess of electron holes, and we describe this as having a positive charge. So if we put N-type against P-type, we create a diode. So you have N-type semiconductor material on one side and P-type semiconductor material on the other side. And where the two meet is called the PN junction. We'll describe its function after this quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Okay, so we have the PN junction, where the P-type semiconductor material comes into contact with the N-type of semiconductor material. What happens then? Well, if you remember, the N-type semiconductor or the N-type side of the diode has an excess of electrons. The P-type has an excess of electron holes. So you would think, oh, well, then all the electrons are just going to move, all the free electrons anyway, the excess ones are going to move from the N-type side to the P-type side and it'll just equalize out. That's not exactly what happens. What does happen is some of the electrons do move over from N-type to P-type. Some of the holes move from P-type to N-type, 
and it creates what is called a depletion zone at the PN junction. It creates this electric field, and that electric field has a, a charge there that prevents more electrons from N-type to move over to the P-type side. So it's like there's this, this force field. It's a weak force field, but it exists. And in order to get through it, you have to add more energy to the system. But without that added energy, the electrons just can't make the jump. If you think about it, it's kind of like, let's say you're full, you're a kid and you're running around in the woods and you come up on an old, like little dry creek bed that's created a ditch. And the ditch is you know, wide, but it's not super wide. If you get a running start, you can jump over that ditch. But if you were to try and jump just from a standstill, you'd never make it, right? You'd fall into the ditch. You have to have enough energy to make it all the way across. That's the same way with these diodes. Without that energy, the electrons aren't going anywhere. They are essentially blocked by the depletion zone and the electric field that it creates. All right, so then if we then attach the P-type side of the diode, uh, the anode side, to the uh, positive end of the battery. And then we take the cathode side of the diode on the N-type, and we attach that to the negative side of the battery. Well, now the battery is providing enough voltage, enough pressure, enough energy to push those electrons from the N-side over to the P-side, and then they continue. They're attracted to the anode because the anode is positively charged now that it's connected to the positive terminal of a battery and you get the flow of electricity. And as long as the battery is still attached, it's going to continue to provide that voltage that will allow the, the current to continue to flow. So elect electrons will continue to go into the N-type side and push over to the P-type side and then continue their journey over to the positive terminal of the battery. And it'll do this till the battery runs out of a charge or essentially doesn't have enough voltage, enough energy to push those electrons over the depletion zone. But then what happens if you turn the battery around, right? What if you, what if you put the battery in backward? Well, now you're going to have these opposite charges. You're going to have a positive charge over at the cathode side, over at N-type side of the diode. And you're going to have a negative charge over at the anode side, over at the P-type side of the diode. And that negative charge on the anode is going to attract all the holes over to that side. The positive side over at the cathode is going to attract all the electrons to that side. The middle of your diode is going to become a much larger depletion zone. So in other words, there is now a much larger barrier that you have to jump. It's like that ditch that you came across in the woods has turned into the Grand Canyon. You are just not going to make it across that ditch, no matter how fast you run. Except with diodes, it's not quite the same. So with diodes, you can create enough voltage to jump that barrier. The problem is when you do this, then you kill the diode and potentially you fry whatever circuit it was <laughs> connected to because you've, uh, you've added enough voltage to overcome this depletion zone. But for normal operation, 
that depletion zone is enough to prevent current from flowing. So that's why we say diodes are kind of like a, a check valve. I guess in a way you could think of it as a check valve in a pipe where you have just put so much water pressure that it breaks the check valve inside the pipe. And the pipe itself possibly might break too. And that would be very similar to what we're talking about in circuitry, where a diode has had enough essentially negative voltage is what it comes down to because you're, you're talking about a reverse bias in this point uh, to break through that depletion zone. Okay, that's generally what how diodes work, right? That they are kind of a, a one-way lane for electricity. But what do we actually use them for? So in some ways, we use it exactly as I mentioned, like a way to control the way electricity can flow. Uh, but we also use them for other stuff, like light-emitting diodes obviously emit light. They are LEDs. We use these in everything from light strips to, to ultra-high-definition televisions. But we also use diodes to do other things. So one example is you can use it as a rectifier. So a rectifier is something that allows you to convert alternating current into direct current. So direct current is easy, right? You have current that flows in one direction. This is what batteries do. It goes from the negative terminal into the positive terminal. That's it. It cannot go the other way. It's not going to go from the positive terminal to the negative terminal, unless we're talking about conventional current, which we're not. Uh, so <laughs> so it's that's direct current. It's always going to go in that direction. And most of our electronics run on direct current. Alternating current reverses the current's direction many times a second. We describe them in hertz. So if it's like 120 hertz current, that means 120 times a second, the direction of current is switching, you know, going one way and then the other way. And it does this 120 times a second. Now, getting into why it does this would get into more than what the scope of this episode's about. But this is what we use in order to transmit electricity great distances because Alternating current can make use of something called transformers, which are more than meets the eye, but they're not robots uh, in disguise. No, transformers are used to change the voltage of alternating current. And stepping up the voltage or increasing the pressure, if you will, means you can push the electricity further down power lines. And then you would step down the voltage. You would decrease the voltage when you were ready to transmit electricity from the power lines to say a home or a business. But we still have to be able to change the alternating current into direct current so that our actual electronics can make use of it. And a diode can do that because a diode will only allow current to flow in one direction. So essentially, it would only allow AC current to flow through half the time when the direction of the AC current matches the direction, the forward direction of the diode. The other half of the time, it would block electricity from, from flowing because it's against the diode. Now, this would mean that you would have a pulsing direct current. So you could actually use collections of diodes and some other components to make this a more smooth operation, uh, including enough diodes so that whether the electricity is traveling in one direction or the other, the diodes create a pathway that allow the electronics to make use of direct current. It's pretty cool. It's very difficult to describe without the use of uh, visual aids. But yeah, diodes are incredibly important for that. We can also use diodes with radio waves. Uh, again, a deep discussion of radio waves is beyond this, but you know you can encode audio onto radio waves. That's how radios work. If you tune into a radio station, 
you know the sound has been encoded onto radio waves. We use diodes to extract the audio from the carrier signal of the radio wave. So yeah, they're really important components, and I hope you have a greater appreciation of them. And uh, yeah, that wraps up this Tech Stuff tidbit. I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.